Coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio in Woodstock, Georgia, this is Fearless Formula with Sharon Klein. Welcome to Fearless Formula on Business Radio X, where we talk about the ups and downs of the business world and offer words of wisdom for business success. I'm your host, Sharon Klein, and today on the show, we have the owner of a company that helps people feel comfortable in their own skin and love what they see in the mirror. Such a good message. Please welcome to the show the owner of Curating Confidence, Casey Sullivan. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I love that. Your message. It's so good. (laughs) It comes from a very deep-rooted place, so... That's, that's what this show is about. Let's talk about how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. I was just doing a little stalkering on you, you know, like your your history, and I saw of that course. you are from Texas. How did you get here? Oh, boy. I wish it was a better story. <laughs> <laughs> just threw a dart on the map and left. <laughs> no, no um, so I've been lots of places in between Texas and here, but essentially, um, I was in a long-distance relationship, and he was here. And I thought, well, I'm getting older, and we're either going to make this work or we're not, so we should probably be in the same city. So here I am. <laughs> he actually lived in Woodstock? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's great. Because look, now you're here. And now and I'm here. Established Almost so five years ways. later. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have met at um, a networking meeting that we have here in Woodstock called YPOW. Um, which is so fun because they ask personal question once a week, and it's nice to get to know someone on a personal level, not just business. But it really led me to realize how much of, of a really fascinating backstory you have to get you where you are right now. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that. Well, first of all, you your company, Curating Confidence, it's all about helping people to get out of their heads of what they think they look like mm-hmm. and sort of really embrace who they are, where they are, and how much that can help, the outside part can help your inside. Right. So essentially my goal is to help people say heck yes to themselves, right? So many of us hold ourselves back from our goals because we have limiting beliefs. We have fear around lots of things. It's It varies from person to person, but at the end of the day, it boils down to confidence. And I talk about a lot what I really believe confidence to be is the willingness to try. And if you are willing to try in the face of adversity and fear, that's how you get to accomplish the thing. But you first have to have that confidence to go and do it. And so many of us sit in, you know, unworthiness and shame and disappointment and lack because we have been raised, taught, trained, whatever you want to call it, to believe that we don't fit inside of this certain box in our culture, therefore we are not good enough. And I lived that message very personally, and I hated it when I realized how it destroyed me. I let it destroy me. And then when I started looking around and seeing how many other people were affected by it also, I thought, well, I'm going to do something about this. This is not okay. And people deserve to feel good about themselves. And so clothing, because of my background in fashion, is a tool I use to help people project that confidence. But really the confidence comes from the inside. And then the clothing piece is just the tool I get to help them put it out there in the world. So your history in fashion, you went 
you were in modeling, you went to fashion design school, you styled specialty runway shows for events like the Oscars. <laughs> That's huge, big. <laughs> Working for you, worked freelance wardrobe on sets for the Disney Channel. Like I got this off your website. I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> I haven't even appreciated these things about you. So it's kind of nice to do a little bit of digging. <laughs> but like you've done um, visual merchandising at Versace. You've got quite a resume. I have lived a little. <laughs> <laughs> but look, So you were able to use those things that you learned as far as um, I can imagine if you're trying to um, put a, a wardrobe together for a character, that mm -hmm. character has an image that you're projecting, right? So you yeah. get to think about it visually. What does this person need to look like in order to project that image? So then you translate that to... He, like real everyday to people. real everyday people the cool thing so I call it a character analysis when you get a script for a show or a film or whatever and you do a read through and you're kind of coming up with you know you're reading about this character and you're reading about their what's going on in the film with them and and you're really sitting there taking notes and you're saying okay so from a clothing perspective because that being my tool how do I project this characteristic this personality in clothes in that, objects right? yeah so it translates on camera for people to really have the full effect that's why costuming is so important because it ties the story together with the authenticity of the character well it's the same thing in our lives if we are not intentionally authentically showing up as ourselves who are we to the rest of the world, right? Who are we projecting to be? And so many people don't put the intentionality behind it because we're not taught to. So I say all the time, you're a walking billboard for yourself. What is the message you're putting out there? And most of us don't have a clue because we haven't been taught to think about it. So it's, it's being able to teach people to utilize that tool and putting out the message that they actually want to share with the world. So how much does social media impact <laughs> That's the first thing I'm thinking of <laughs> is how tough that is to compare yourself constantly to other people, but not just that, but the celebrities that um, promote their image constantly. And if you don't fit into a mold or I don't even know exactly like an energy that yeah. they have, well, what's your energy? What is that valuable in itself? So I can see right. how it would play with your head. Oh, so much so. And I think that's why I leaned so heavily into the confidence piece being internal, external is going to come and go. It changes with time. We can't control it. You know, my own story, you know, post-modeling as I was working in the film um, TV sector on doing styling, I had some major health issues. I put on 100 pounds in nine months. And when that happened, I went into full-on self-hatred mode because I had unknowingly tied my entire self-worth to what I saw in the mirror. And when I no longer had control of that, I thought I was... I didn't think I was worth anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that I deserved my job. I didn't think I deserved my friends. I self-sabotaged relationships uh, because I literally was out of control of my physical body, and therefore I thought I had nothing to offer. And so when I start working with individuals, the first thing I want them to do is start grounding themselves in confidence in things that are authentic and true to them. What are their values? Who are they at the core? And when your self-confidence is founded in that, it doesn't matter what the external has going around you because you are grounded in the confidence internally. And then I just get to help you go and, again, utilize your clothes as a tool to put it out there in the world in the best way possible. That's amazing. It's Interesting to me to think how much what we believe everyone sees on the outside is the value of a human. Yes. 
and how much if you don't like what that looks like or are struggling with something that it it affects everything on the inside it's really amazing the mental I don't know gymnastics you play oh man such a great term mental gymnastics I like it but it is it's such a trickle-down effect because like it or not we are an image-based culture you know what kind of car do I drive what kind of job title do I have what kind of da 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 and so we are taught to think that is the most important thing when in reality it's it's smoke and mirrors. Because anyone can look super nice. Yeah. Especially with filters. It filled, ugh, <laughs> don't even get me started on filters. Really? <laughs> they make me so angry. I know. I saw one recently. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what? how would I possibly look this like this? You know, like yeah. I wonder if these people, anyone brings their phone or whatever to a doctor's office and is like, can you make me look like this right? filter makes me look? Oh, when, <laughs> when I was mo- modeling, this was in the early 2000s. So this was like at the height of, we want you to be an adult, but look to like a 12 year old. Jeez. Um, so like thin, 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 everything thin. And I was with a girl backstage and she was looking at me and she's looking in the mirror and she was just poking at her hips and pushing on and pushing on. And she was so anorexic already. And she was just literally starving herself and she goes do you think they could shave my hips down <gasps> because there was no more weight for her to lose she was bone on bone and yet she still wasn't booking work because her hips were broader than the ideal at the time on runways and when you're asking questions like do you think I can shave my bones down I'm like oh we have a problem <laughs> major problem and it, it was it was soul crushing to think that that's what she thought of herself like that was her worth how did you climb out of the dark place you were in? Um, I threw myself into other things first. I didn't even recognize the dark place I was in. Um, and when I finally realized that some of my, med- my medical stuff needed a little extra help, and I had um, two amazing, very supportive parents that, Like, hey, let's get your health back on track, and then you can go, like, take over your career again. So I moved back to Texas to do treatments um, for some of that stuff. And because I was in rural Texas and there wasn't a lot of fashion work happening, I went back to school for rehabilitation services under the thought that I was going to then go design clothes for people with disabilities. And um, so a lot of that studying was the mental piece. So you have the physical therapist and the occupational therapist that work with people in trauma situations to deal with the physical, but there wasn't anybody bridging the gap on the mental piece outside of counseling, which that's great and amazing and we need all of that stuff, right? But there was like the the rehabilitation services was really focused on that mental side of that shift and how do I help people bridge that gap? of of those two things um and so I really through going to school to study something else I started recognizing a lot of these gaps in myself and be like oh that's what that is and and really having to start doing that self-work um part of that was going to counseling part of that was just really slowing down and reading tongue I've read so many books I've gone through so many personal development programs because I needed to for me and now I get to do it and take all that stuff I've learned and grown through and get to help other people with it. So it turned out to be kind of a blessing in disguise. <laughs> You've always been artistic. 
I was reading yeah, about yeah. you and creative. <laughs> and so you use a lot of that creativity, correct? In helping yeah. clients. Yes. So I think this is kind of where I ended up in this business that I have now is I love working with people. People, I, I, that's my heart. I love developing relationships and building relationships with people. I have never had a friend that I don't try to stay in touch with forever. Um, it makes traveling a little difficult because <laughs> I feel like I have 3,000 million places I need to be now um, to keep up with everybody. But it's a gift um, to, to be able to say that. So people have always kind of been my heart. But also the creativity side. So the fashion always gave me the creativity, but I didn't always get to help the people with the fashion. And when I went into the nonprofit work, I got to help the people, but I had no creative outlet. And so both places I was like kind of what I call half happy, like <laughs> like half full on the cup. And so this, what I do now is kind of the hybrid of where I get to help people in a very creative space and that just brings me so much joy. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like you talk about joy. That's like one of the highlights that I think really makes you realize you're in the right industry when you've got something that you do that just fills your heart and your soul and helps people. It's like just such a wonderful feeling that I think joy is like a, a an indicator, like where you can make your true north so you're in the right place it hey. sounds like I feel like I'm in the right place so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it <laughs> who's your ideal client oh, that's a good great question um so I would say anybody in a big transition is and that's pretty vague um so trying to narrow it down here we all go through things in life that kind of like knock the wind out of our sails but we're really good at what we do and so maybe it's a divorce Maybe it's um, a health issue like I had, massive weight gain, bariatric surgery where they're shifting and they're not sure how to double mastectomies, going through things like that. Those are all clients I've had and worked with. People coming out of the military or the police force, they are tied to their identity around a uniform and they're trying to figure out how to move to the next step. Um, people... Um, that are fresh out of like med school, law school, and they're like trying to figure out how to step into their new space or they've gotten a promotion in a space. Um, I work a lot with women in male-dominated industries because they're really good at what they do, but they're still like this imposter syndrome. And so um, tech, finance, engineering, chemistry, like they're boss women, but they're still like struggling with just to like own their space really well as a woman in a, you know, 80 90% filled room of men. And so it's like helping people, again, say heck yes about themselves and, and really own what they're great at and helping them package it in the best way possible. So that's amazing. You help so many different <laughs> people. I didn't actually think that's so um, diverse. Yeah. And that's why, like, I, when I say it's vague, when I see people in big transitions, but that's the best common denominator I have found. So how much is, how um, all right. So if someone is com incongruent, mm -hmm. right? So they're not living in alignment with who they are. The outside isn't matching the inside. There is a toll. There's a stress. Mm -hmm. So how do you, what's the step that you go through to help someone figure out the way, the, the image that they want to project? I know you were saying you kind of talked to them about what's important to them, their values, mm -hmm. but what else do you ask them? So really it, it starts way more facilitating conversations. And sometimes I have assessments I run my clients through from the beginning. I need to know all their baselines. Um, I have a confidence assessment that I have designed to walk them through. I have a motivators 
thing. I have a, a self-sabotaging thing. I walk them because it helps me to understand to, to truly help people build the best self-confidence. And then all like all those baselines really matter because I can't, I call it unlabeling. I can't help solve a problem we don't know exists. So the more information I can get, the more conversations I can have, um, a lot of it is truly digging and conversation and the clothing piece falls into place so naturally after that. Um, there's a, a piece in there where I help them develop out a mood board where we do things like that. And that helps us really translate all of those internal pieces into physical external things. Um, and then we get to go and talk about their body shape and all the things that make them so uniquely beautiful and, and, tie it all up in a big bow with a fabulous outfit. So, <laughs> What are the main factors that do influence our um, images of ourselves? I know I said social media, but what else? Oh, the list is endless. I mean, you talk about, um, we tend to, women particularly, but I, I see men do this too, um, we carry everything we've ever heard about ourselves in like a pocket on the inside of our shirt. Um, and then when the time is right, it like rears its little ugly head. So for instance, I've had people that were bullied on the playground in elementary school that thought they had a boy head because somebody told them they had a boy head and they now 50 years later are making hair choices subconsciously because they think they have a boy head and it's not serving them. Um, you know, we, your family sometimes they jest and they poke fun and they're not really trying to be ugly or mean but in your head you internalize it like another client she was like just had so much stress around her stomach because when her mom would take her school shopping she would always poke her little belly and be like oh look at that little belly it's starting to poke out and she'd poke it and she was so self-conscious because of these weird like little things that we do as humans not to be mean just out of like you know, just being not thinking, yeah, just not thinking really. And so there are so many factors and some of those are like little ones, but there are extreme ones, like people that have gone through true traumas and those labels get carried on. So it could be anything <laughs> like there is no short list here. It's <laughs> amazing actually. And it's, it's so uh, slightly shameful as a parent because I know that I love my kids, but I have no idea the kinds of things that I would have said potentially that they live with. Well, and the thing is, and I don't say this to make parents feel bad. No, or no, I just naturally as feel bad. So, <laughs> but I'm quit sure with I'm the guilty. parent shame. <laughs> oh, I live in parent shame. Go ahead. No, but like, even as an aunt, right? So, the thing is, is none of us are able to get through life without these things. It is a part of human nature, and it's like, how do we? How do we move forward with it? And so when people, when those things really become a limiting factor, not everybody, it is that big of a limiting factor. Some people really do over time have developed their own coping mechanisms, all the things that's great and wonderful. But then there's the handful of us that just need that extra hand up, you know, getting through some of that stuff. And um, like personal example, when I was little, I had a kid that teased me about having blue eyes because I have a you know, a, a more olive skin tone and my hair is really dark. And they just thought it was absolutely insane that I would have <laughs> really light colored eyes. And I was like, I, I was like six or seven. I was in first grade and I was just distraught that this was not the norm. And I hated my eyes. I hated them. And so when I got to driver's ed, 
and I couldn't pass the driver's ed eye exam, and I had to go to the eye doctor. And so I get fit for contacts, and I begged my mom to let me get colored contacts. And so she was like, do they cost more? <laughs> and <laughs> the eye doctor, yeah. And the eye doctor was like, yeah. And she's like, nope, you're fine. <laughs> and he was like, can I ask you why you want colored contacts? And I was like, because I hate my eye color. I just want brown eyes. And he's like, you know, do you know most people are paying for your eye color? <laughs> and I just looked at him like he was crazy. And it wasn't until years later when I started realizing that my coloring was what booked me work as a model. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, like this is this is a thing Special apparently. And but marketable. I hated it. Like it was something I carried around as a label of shame because it was not the norm. And so it's like you, there's no limit to what could cause pain for people. Interesting because not the norm. It's it's like we all want to fit in right. some place, right? It's it's inherent to being a human is mm-hmm. to be part of a community, right? So you can survive. Yes. So anything that you're doing that makes you a bit of an outlier feels very risky and scary. Mm-hmm. But I love that you reframe all of it to be something that's special about someone and makes them unique in a beautiful way, not um, vulnerable. Right. Well, and I think if we really boil it down to its core there isn't anything that's normal. <laughs> you know, we just we just know what's in our bubble, right? And part of one of the things I do is walking people through self-image. And one of the major components of self-image is the sense of being accepted by your community. That help. It is one of the biggest components of, of how your self-image is developed. And that is what affects how we feel about our weight our ethnicity, our sexuality, our income, our title, because we want to be accepted by our community. And if we feel like we're not, that's when we start putting all these labels of shame on ourselves or not good enough or whatever it is. So if I can help you start grounding that self-image in like the truths of that person that make them special and unique, their body is the least interesting thing about them. (laughs) Which is the main thing that they're thinking about. Exactly. It's what we all think about. Yeah. But it's like, oh my gosh, there's so many cool things about you. Let me show you. (laughs) And how interesting it is that if they start to feel good about themselves, like it exponentially affects lots of parts, not just the way they dress and move through the world, but all the relationships. And I'm sure you know much more than I do. No, but you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. You know, all those things affect how we show up in our relationships, at our job, in our families, with our you know, our community around us, all of that. Capabilities, right? Everything. And and again, going back to what my definition of confidence is, if you're willing to try something or not, your achievements, you know, if you just get it, you can't achieve anything new unless you're willing to try something new. And to know that, you know, failure is only failure if you stop. We are expected to screw up. We're never going to do anything right the first time, or very few of people will. I sure as the heck don't. (laughs) But that's part of the reason I do this show, Fearless Formula, is because fear does stop people from making Mm -hmm. a lot of choices. And so talking to business owners who have gone through um, your trials and tribulations but have a business and are thriving, um, how it's like I would love for you to be able to give some words of wisdom to the people who would listen who maybe are concerned about their own capabilities and maybe doubt what they can do. So are, are there things that you're no longer afraid of now that you are, have, are where you are with your business and um, have such a great resume and, you know, have been successful in like different areas that are, it's almost enviable, you know, it's like, wow, look what you've done. Well, 
thank you. That's kind. Um, I look at them and I think, oh, look at all those places I messed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Fascinating. <laughs> Me, I'm like, you're the coolest person. No, <laughs> no. Just because I I experienced some of those things didn't mean I was good at all of them all the time. <laughs> like I within those experiences, I had lots of mess ups, and and so. Um, if there's anything I'm not fearful of anymore, it's just to get up and try again, whatever it is. I will say because I am determined that I am going to keep going and I can't keep going unless I'm willing to get up again. (laughs) And that is the only absolute I have in my life. (laughs) Did you always have like a, a resilience to you this way? Um, I think if, if I was lacking in resilience, I had a community of people that were willing to lend me theirs in the interim. And I think that's the one thing I can tell people. We are not all perme- impermeable, right? Life, life hits you sometimes. And, some, you know, we all get hit by different things. And sometimes you just need somebody that can lend you their resilience, their motivation, their, their belief in you while you're trying to rebuild your own. And so I think one of the biggest gifts I can say I've ever had is I have had amazing people in my life and all of these different journeys that have been able to lend me theirs when I was struggling with mine. That's a gift in itself, isn't it? Oh my gosh, yes. Because surrounding your, that's a theme that I find is that people that surround themselves with support, whether it's a business partner that is good at something that they're not, mm-hmm. you know, strategically putting people in your life that help your business succeed. But just having someone to um, give you uh, a perspective that you don't have naturally, how important that is so that you can see, because, you know, we're all supposed to help each other, I think, while we're here on this planet. So it's sort of like imagining yourself on an island by yourself. You only have your own brain to go by. So if someone else can give you like a different perspective, it's powerful. Yes, 100%. And so I, I, I... can say that I have been blessed over and over and over again. <laughs> and and that's why I hope so much with this business, I get to give it back to others. You know, we are blessed so we can then bless others. That's the way I've always tried to look at it. That's what I was raised to believe. Um, I can't say in my more selfish moments, I have always been good at it. <laughs> did you come up with like a curriculum basically on your own? How did you do it? Yeah, so I think a lot of it was just experience when, you know, all the jobs I've held um, all the, so one of my defaults is when I felt lost or confused or I didn't know what to do next, I went to school because it was my safety net, right? Oh, I don't have to know what I'm doing in life. If I'm in school, I can just like flounder around and it's okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I get that. So it took me a while to recognize I've paid for a heck of a lot of school I probably didn't need. <laughs> but so through, through all of the education, through the I've had so many jobs. Like that list is very incomplete. I so I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm like, well, I look at it as fabulous. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> but how much do I do that? I project some fabulous belief about somebody's history and think it was amazing. Whereas you have the backstory of, well, it was really difficult, but I paint it as positive and wonderful. And then I compare my life to it. Right. Like, right. I'm like, I'm not as amazing. And that is the, <laughs> and that's the, like the, the saddest thing about comparison with people I find is, and, I, and I'm guilty of it myself and I, but I've gotten better at catching myself in the moment, right? Is if you are truly grounded in yourself and in all the core things that make you, you, it means comparison doesn't have the window of opportunity to check you out of the game, right? 
So if you're confident in yourself, you don't walk in a room immediately start saying, oh, her dress is better. Oh, um, she's got long hair. My hair is short. Oh, she's, you know what I mean? Like, because you're just you and you feel good about it. And now you can move forward and do the things. Um, And it's not an easy place to be. And I still have my days where I have to check myself. I'm like, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> I wake up and I'm like, Ugh. but it's, it's having the tools and the skill set to pull myself out much quicker exactly. and to just get back in the game. Right. So I sometimes in low moments compare myself voice artist wise to other voice actors. And like, I will go on websites and just be like, wow, their website looks amazing. And then I mm-hmm. hear them and I'm like, oh, why am I in this industry? Like, why would anyone hire me if they could hire her? You know what I mean? Oh, in my mind. It's, and so I did hear it. That phrase, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. So I purposely can't let myself go down that road. I mean, there are times where I'm like, hmm, how is it out there? Because it can be a very isolating industry. You're in your own booth or whatever. So, But I do see that um, it takes me a bit to get back out to where I feel like I actually do have the skill set to be able to be successful. It's amazing how much that can affect my, my, uh, self-esteem. Oh my goodness. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the minute like your interest started playing, I was like, Oh, I have to sound like Minnie Mouse next to that. <laughs> like I was you don't sound like Minnie. <laughs> You're so funny. What? <laughs> that is not what I thought. I thought, yay, I can't wait to talk to you some more. <laughs> so I was like, immediately I heard your voice on the radio and I was like, Oh, let me sink into my chair a little bit. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Cause I, Wow, this is fascinating. That's funny. Well, interesting because I look at other people and think the same thing. So is this just a universal truth that we all just do this all the time? And, you know, it can affect us in exponential ways. Like I think about the fact that as I, like I was telling you, when I ride my motorcycle, sometimes I feel very self-conscious and like mm-hmm. my all eyes are on me. But we were just saying how that's not true. Like people aren't really looking at me. Yeah. Even when I'm walking down the street, in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, they're looking. I don't even know who. But I'm actually thinking about myself and they are most likely too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so funny because we all do that. We are all seeking that validation, right? And we're all just like so worried that there are everyone around us is thinking all these horrible, crazy thoughts. And in reality, they're all thinking their own crazy, horrible <laughs> thoughts about themselves. They don't have the time to think about yours. <laughs> like, so sad. <laughs> you know. uh, that's hilarious. There's a, there's somebody else in, in the like beauty industry. Um, that's much larger of a name than I am, Hillary Rushford. She talks about this thing she calls the 150% mirror. And she is, it's that thing that you dislike about yourself, that you see it so much more enlarged than it actually is. And in reality, most people see it at like 25% and you're seeing it at 150%. And in, and you know, in the middle somewhere is the reality of it. So it's being able to like keep that perspective of, you know what? She's got her own problems, and she's thinking about those. She is not worried about my extra arm flab. <laughs> like, rock the sleeve of the shirt. So do you have a favorite client experience, like something that stands out as just super special? Oh. Are they all special? I have had so many amazing client experiences. It's such a gift, honestly, because it's such a space of vulnerability when people will sit and open up, like I, I can't tell you the number of closet floors I have sat on and just held people while they cried. And it, it's a release for them and they need it to be able to move on. And so being able to offer that just feels like a blessing in itself um, that I get to say that that's my job. <laughs> Goodness, I agree. Um, but 
I, I will say, here's here's how this business really came to be. Um, it was not because I had this great idea one day. Woo, epiphany. <laughs> didn't, it wasn't that. I was working in the nonprofit sector and um, was just doing fashion work on the side because, again, I was in rural Texas. There wasn't a lot of it around. <laughs> so I would just do it on the side when I had the opportunities and then I was working my, my, my real job. So, or my pay the bill job. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a friend that was like, hey, my friend needs your help with finding a dress. And I'm like, I mean, why? Because to me, I'm like, shopping's so easy. Why? Like, just send her to a couple stores. I don't know. (laughs) She goes, no, she's willing to pay you. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Like, I couldn't even wrap my mind around that in the moment. But anyways, I agreed to meet this woman. And we went to the store, and she needed a dress for a special event. And I've mentioned this story multiple times if you've, not you particularly, but if anybody's heard much of my content, she needed a dress for a special event and she had had a double mastectomy and she was dealing with the mental trauma of feeling less than because she'd lost her womanhood or her womanhood was different. And I don't know how often you try on formals, but they don't cover a whole lot often, particularly in the decollete and area and things like that. And so she was just she didn't want to represent her husband that way. Like she was so worried that she was going to be judged and her husband therefore was going to be judged because she wasn't beautiful enough. And I thought, this is the saddest thing ever. But I also knew that pain. I could relate. My story was different, but I knew that pain. And so I was like, girl, we got this. And within a couple hours, we had her dress, we had her shoes, we had all these things. And we did like a once over. We put it all together on in the dressing room, did a once over in the mirror. And she turned around and just like tears. And I was like, oh, crap, that was not the goal. (laughs) I have failed and I'm going to go. And she goes, no. She's like, thank you. I didn't know I could feel this beautiful again. And I was like, oh, Oh, no. Okay. It's like. And I think it was that moment that I really realized, girl, get over yourself. So many other people, like, because it was, I was really still in that moment dealing with my own, like crawling out of my own hole. And it was the first time I stopped and could look around and say, get over yourself. Woe is you. So many other people are struggling and you have the tools to help them. And that, it's that was unique kind of, to yeah. you. It's unique to you because I don't have those skills at all. So I like I couldn't imagine trying to go find something that, especially if I felt like there's abs- I'm I'm in a I'm in a negative space of even being able to get to where I would want to feel even remotely beautiful. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't get there at all because of a physical problem. So I wouldn't know where to go. I wouldn't want to do it. You know. Right. And I think that's the unfortunate thing is so many, particularly women. We just think we automatically should know how to dress. We should automatic because we're women. We should be able to do that. But I'm, it's like anything else. It's a skill. And if you haven't been taught to utilize it or to do that, why should you know? But we think we should, and therefore we, like, don't, we don't try to get ourselves the education, the tools to, to get better at it. And, I mean, this is something I've done for 17 years. I have degrees in. I have trained in this on multiple levels and multiple different facets of the industry yeah, like I have a different skill set in it than you, and I'm happy to share that with you. And and that's where the, the recognition comes in is like, it's like anything else. If you haven't been taught to do it, why do you feel like you should know how to do it? There's no... So true. And I love that you talked about expecting perfection. Like no one will do anything perfectly, mm-hmm. but how much that belief can limit, I mean, a million things I do. Right? You know, I don't... Oh, yeah. I don't like 
failing, especially when I'm trying really hard with mm-hmm. every bit of information I have to get something to work and it doesn't work. It's the ultimate in frustration for me. Yeah. It's like I take it per- so personally, like it's because of me, you know, something I don't know and can't do. And oh, yeah, it's the worst feeling. Well, it's like you said, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. Well, perfectionism is the thief of achievement. Because in reality, we will never be perfect. You just need to aim for progress, you know. And that's and um, that's where I think the shift has to happen is when you can say, "I'm just going to keep practicing in this, and I'm going to make progress," and that's great. Where it, where does the belief of the perfectionism come from? You know, I I don't know if I know the root of perfectionism in, and I'm sure we all kind of have our own stories behind right. it you and, know and it's subjective too whatever it's so per- much so like I am um, a recovering people pleaser so like mine came around wanting to please everybody right like oh it's like I have to please this person and then it was like but this person's gonna be happy and unhappy if I do that and so therefore I have to shift the, but then they're gonna be happy and then I would never do anything because I was so worried I was gonna please other people and I'm like well I can't achieve anything if I'm sitting here terrified <laughs> That this isn't going to be perfect enough for them. And then the only people suffering is me. <laughs> like, they're over here clueless that I'm even over here, like, drowning in my own insecurities. <laughs> the only thing I'm perfect at is knowing how to struggle on the planet. <laughs> or, like, you know, question myself. Like, right? I, I'm an expert. <laughs> so good at it. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I mean, I love that you reframe how people look at themselves and it and it's clearly it's effective it really works and helps people to look at life as a positive as opposed to a struggle yeah and again I don't think it's it's always the easiest thing to do but it is so powerful if you will step into it and try and and that's the shift that I I want so much to get across uh, there's so much stigma in my industry on both sides so from the style side, it's like, oh, you know, only rich people get stylists. Oh, she's going to make me wear and buy a bunch of expensive clothes I don't care about. And, you know, and I'm like, no, like, I don't care about those things unless you want those things for you. My job is to help you show up authentically as yourself in the best way possible. But, you know, again, there's stigmas with everything. From the um, consulting side of my business where I really you know, um, help people develop self-confidence and putting strategies in place to do that as a coach. The stigma is, well, I want the easy button. That's hard work, you know. And so it's like finding that person that's in the right spot that they're ready to do the work and grow because it is hard work and it doesn't happen overnight. There's no magic button for it. Um, And we're all still waiting like, and there's so much misconception that if we, have this one thing change, we will magically like ourselves better. Often it's weight for people in my, like I see the most is when people want to lose weight first. Stop waiting until, because now you're just waiting until XYZ happens. And when it happens, I guarantee you'll find some other reason not to like yourself because that was actually never the problem, you know, or it's waiting till I achieve a promotion or a title or a whatever, whatever, whatever. So it's the shift in getting people to like themselves first first and then those things come into place next because it's it's like I go back to the weight one because it's the most common one I see if you are truly trying to lose weight from a health perspective that's great go be healthy I want that for you but health and beauty get meshed into one and most of the time people are trying to lose weight for the like themselves side versus the I need to be healthy side 
And so if I can help people like themselves first, then they're motivated to go make themselves healthy because they think they're worth it. Now they're not fighting against themselves to do something they hate. It just makes those achievements so much easier. But we're all so mentally in our own way, and I'm just as guilty of it. Um, so you help people get out of their own way. Yeah, that's the goal. I never really put that together in my head, how much health and beauty are overlapped and enmeshed and they're yeah. very different things. Very and they're subjective, too. Like, well, health is health, but, like, beauty is right. subjective. So I can see how if you are trying to become a healthy person and your mind is going to make you beautiful or more yeah. attractive or something, but really it's what it does for the inside of you, how, how you feel better, like, when you wake up in the morning and mm -hmm. things that you can't really say as an outside um, visual validation. Yeah. And, and that's where it's, like, the health and beauty, the lines get blurred so much within ourselves, but they're so different. They're such different things. And, you know, if you put 10 women all the same size and weight in a room at their, but they're all their numbers are showing optimal health, they're all going to look different. All their bodies are going to look different because we're so designed differently. <laughs> There's no way. So, but the problem becomes we, again, are such an image-based culture, and we see these things, right? This is beauty, this is beauty, this is beauty, this is not. Or I only fill in one corner of this box, so now I need to go force myself to fill in the other three corners, and I'm going to become unhealthy to do that, but it looks like health because I've lost weight. <laughs> I'm like, but now you're actually not healthy. <laughs> yeah, can't go upstairs without, like, almost passing out kind of thing. Like, yeah. they're, they're not strong. And so I, I'm picking on weight a lot because, again, it's the most common one I see. But it's it's not just subject to weight. There's lots of, of things and variations in that. So um, it's just being able to recognize that you have value outside of the exterior and believing that first because then the rest of it falls into place for you. Wow. What do you love about being a small business owner? What do I love about being a small business owner? Um The ability to have a cocktail at lunch if I want one. <laughs> what a good answer. No one's telling you no. <laughs> There's a lot of things. <laughs> Listen, the people talk about how they love that they don't have a boss. Like, that's a big thing. Yeah. You know, so that's actually very valid. <laughs> Anytime you want to do that, you just let me yeah. know. <laughs> I'm like my clients, because a lot of times I, I joke about it and I, I'm not promoting this in any sort of like bad way but sometimes my clients need a little boost of courage to get going so I'll bring mimosas and we'll just before we jump into their closet and and again I'm not trying to promote that in an unhealthy like move to alcohol for all your problems <laughs> kind of way but I, so it makes it easy for me to do things like that because I dictate my own rules <laughs> dang <laughs> if that isn't motivating for having your own business I don't know what is there's just something kind of so empowering about it right right <laughs> So how did the pandemic affect you? Did it? Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> So I actually launched my business in January of that year. Oh, two months later. But yes. Boom. So start a style business, they said. They will come. No. That was the year nobody got dressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really sweatpants. <laughs> so now I'm, like, trying to convince people that they need help picking out their pajamas. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a huge um shift for me 
to truly understand what I offered beyond clothing. And it, it, again, long-term, a blessing in disguise. The first eight months, not so much. That was just rough. But it really forced me to really own what I had always actually wanted to do, which was the internal confidence piece, because it's so integral to my story. It, it, was so, it affected me so greatly. And again, just because of my background, fashion is the tool I use to help. But the, the real goal of my, my business is helping you like yourself first. You know, fall back in love with yourself or maybe for the first time ever. How many people do you think out there aren't percentage wise really accepting who they are? Most? I would say most. Just on some degree. Yeah. And, and even the people that you think are the most confident because they're like extra arrogant or whatever, that's usually just the lack of confidence showing up as a mask, parading around. <laughs> it's pretty sad when you think about it because I believe what I'm seeing. You know, I'm yeah, affected. I'm affected. We all are. Yeah. We all are. But if you think about it from the perspective of if you are truly confident and grounded in self, you don't need validation. You just show up and you're authentically a genuine human. And those people come across so differently. Like that's off, like feel it, right? Yes. The groundedness. Yeah. And so to me, that's true confidence. Um, but it's not always the way it gets shown in our society. So where would you like to see your company in like five years? Um, it's not so much the where as it is the impact. Mm. Um, I want to be able to say I have truly been a disruptor in this industry, that I have been able to really revolutionize a large amount of people's mindsets of themselves. Um, so the where isn't so much my concern, but the impact, I think, is my goal in five years. I want to be able to say I've I've helped a, a good chunk of people. I love it because it really is for the good of all and the harm of none, you know. That's my hope. And helping people to accept the beautiful parts of themselves that, um, I don't know, make us unique and that in that way special. It's very easy for those things to be considered not, um, like you said, put into a box. And so yeah. I can only imagine someone who never really felt like they fit somewhere all of a sudden looking at the things that they thought didn't make them fit as assets. Right. You know, that's so beautiful. And that's, But that's so real for all of us. Like how many times have we thought, oh, well, this isn't like anybody else's. And then five years down the road, we're like, thank goodness I got this. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so being different is beautiful. It is. It's so beautiful. And if I can help more people embrace that, then I am a happy person. <laughs> well, how could people get in touch with you if they wanted to? I am curating confidence on all the things. <laughs> curating confidence. <laughs> curating all the things. All the things. It doesn't matter. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, website, all the things. Curating confidence. Well, Casey, thank you for stopping by Aww. and letting me get to know a little bit more about what makes you your own special person mm -hmm. and unique and how you really love people. And it, I'm sure it shows. I can feel it here in the studio. Well, Sharon, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yay. And Go thank on. you all out there for listening. <laughs> thank you for listening to Fearless Formula on Business Radio X. And this is, again, Sharon Kine reminding you that with knowledge and understanding, we can all have our own fearless formula. Have a great day.